dealing with today's issues from a biblical perspective. Can you handle the truth? Informative voice for Christianity, The Marty Mento Show. Well, welcome once again to The Marty Mento Show podcast. I'm your host, Marty Mento, the informative voice for Christianity all across America. The one who has been called the blue-collar theologian trying to help others make sense of the confusion today in visible Christianity. If you want to share your thoughts, your views, your opinions about the podcast, maybe suggestions, all you have to do is email me, martyminto at gmail.com. But once again, thank you for joining with me here on the Marty Minto Show podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a blessing it is once again to do this podcast Though I have to admit to you that I'm a little frustrated today. Now, not because of the podcast, but because of the weather. It has been raining here in the deep, deep south, and it's just pouring like never before. It's raining like cats and dogs, as some would say. And uh, i got to be honest with you, I'm soaking wet. been trying to dry out now for the last half hour, and I'll tell you why. A little bit of part of my pet peeve of the day and why I'm a little frustrated. i got five children. Four of the children are out of the house. They're married. They got their own children. My wonderful grandchildren just love them dearly. But I have one child at home, one child who is 15 years of age going on 25, at least, you know, at different times in his life. I mean, he, he, he tries to be an adult or he thinks he's an adult when he wants to be. Now, I, if you've ever raised teenagers or if you have one of your own, I'm sure you're familiar with the reality that uh, they think, you know, we put too much on them, too much pressure. We always have things to do for them. I mean, you know, they're, they're like they're overworked and overwhelmed by parents. You know, we have so many chores and, you know, they're about ready to collapse by the end of the day. You know, that's not the case. That's just typical teenagers. Well, with our son, we give one chore um, well, we give them many, but one of the ones that we focus on and try to remind them at least a hundred times a week, if not more, is you got to take out the garbage. Now that's pretty simple. And where we live in this very remote place, you know, the garbage guy comes around once and that's it per week. Uh, and you can't, you can't run him down in the neighborhood. <laughs> once he leaves and goes bye-bye, it's bye-bye till the next week. Well, we, you know, once again, told our son, over and over again, get the garbage can out, you know, make sure this particular day, this particular time, you know, yeah, yeah, dad, I'll get to, yeah, yeah, mom, I'll get to, yeah, yeah, dad, I'll get to. I mean, the same stuff. We hear it all the time. Well, I am, you know, kind of getting ready to do the podcast, and all of a sudden I hear the big machine. I hear the garbage truck coming, and I realize the garbage can's not out there. So I am running outside in the pouring rain, and I mean, it, it is coming down like you would not believe. I, that's all I can tell you. It is coming down like cats and dogs outside. So I am trying to get the garbage can out so that the garbage man can take the garbage, which once again was the chore responsibility of my son. Well, long and behold, I could not do it in time. The garbage man left. There's no way for me to get his attention or to get him to come back, so he's gone. So by the time I get the garbage can back into its spot, I am just positively soaked and wet. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I am just, I'm as wet as wet can possibly be. Um, and uh, now I am here doing a podcast or trying to do a podcast, and I'm trying to dry out at the same time because it's cold where we're at. It's not as cold as some places in the United States, but it's cool here right now, which is very unusual. But Again, because of the rain and whatever, I just it's just that time of the year. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm trying to I'm going to try to get through this broadcast today, and uh, you know, try to do so as I thaw out sitting right here uh, in front of my um, studio here uh, at the secret location of the Marty Mento Show podcast. As always, I try to tell everybody, listen, if you have anything on your, your heart and mind or something you want to share and you want me to, you know, hear from you, maybe you, something you disagree with, something you agree with, maybe you have a suggestion, I tell everybody all the time, simple, you know, I've used this for years, email me, Marty Minto, that's Marty with a Y, Minto's M-I-N-T-O, Marty Minto at gmail.com. It's not difficult. And... um 
just recently, as I was looking into the mailbag, I realized that I had an email from a listener, and that was pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. I know, I'm kind of old, you know, because it's email, but, you know, I always think of the postman bringing all the messages and, you know, letters and things that we need. But today in our world, we have, you know, the capability of emails. But I, I came across this email, and um, I this is from a listener who listened to my last podcast. And, and if you listen to the last podcast, I kind of went somewhere where a lot of people don't want to go. They're afraid to go, and the reason is is because I treaded on sacred ground, especially here in the Deep South. I talked about unbiblical altar calls. <laughs> Even using that word un in front of biblical, uh, I have found myself already people are upset because, once again, where I'm at, these altar calls are done all the time, left and right, almost at every service, but especially on Sundays. And uh, as I shared before, it's, um, well, it may be some of the reasons why I don't get as many speaking engagements as I used to over the years, uh, because I just won't do an altar call. I'm not going to do that. I don't ask people to ask Jesus into their heart. I don't do that kind of stuff with this false unbiblical evangelism that goes on and all this. Uh, But I got an email here uh, from a gentleman. I'll just call him J.D., And here's what J.D. writes in regards to the last podcast. Sir, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for your latest podcast. I think you hit the nail on the head with the altar calls. A few years back, my kids came home from vacation Bible school with a spiritual birth certificate, and they were so excited to show me. Get this, folks, a spiritual birth certificate. When I asked them what it meant, they couldn't tell me. Now, see, I'm not surprised by that at all. I really am not. All they knew was that if they prayed with a leader, they got this paper. My concern was that they, the church, did this so that they could say on Sunday morning, we saw X number of children get saved this week. Well, J.D., you're right about that. Uh, Look how great we did. I try my best to let my children know that one prayer or one act does not make them Christian but it involves a changed heart. It's a way or living your life for him and not our own benefit. Just wanted to let you know that your podcast did not fall in deaf ears, and I hope you continue to speak truth regardless of popular opinion. God bless and thanks. Well, J.D., thank you so much for that email, and I truly mean it because I'm going to continue to do so, but I'm not surprised by this. What you shared, uh, I have witnessed over the years uh, from many of folks and uh, again, this, this kind of mindset that just sets in with people uh, believing that they're saved because, once again, they, you know, they have said a prayer, uh, they have you know, come down front, they have signed a, a piece of paper, they raised a hand, and this is a big thing at Vacation Bible School. I've watched this over the years, too, and it seems like you know, they, they boast about, look how many kids we got saved this week. Or, you know, some may say, look how many kids got saved. And they're basing it upon praying a prayer, coming to the altar, whatever the case may be. And in many cases, these kids have no idea. They have no idea what clue. I'll tell you this. This is very interesting. When I share the gospel with people, and I have made this a practice for a long time, when I share the gospel with people, I really, truly, before I end my conversation and I pray for them, I, I pray for them. I don't ask them to pray a prayer. I, I pray for them. But before I even do that, I, I truly say to that person, um, did you understand the gospel message that I shared with you? And in many cases, they'll say, oh, yes, I understood. And I'll say, okay, tell me then what the gospel is. Now, some people would say, you know, Marty, you're putting them on the spot here they are, a, a you know, they're just maybe hearing this for the very first time, and yet you're putting them on the spot wanting them to tell you what the gospel is. Well, folks, listen to me. If we really believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, then if the gospel is the message that they need to hear because it is God's message, and it's also God's method of saving people, then in order to be saved, you have to understand what the gospel is. 
uh, that illumination, that understanding has to come by God doing a work in your life through the power and the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, through the gospel message that is being shared or preached. But people need to understand this is not some wheel, you know, willy-nilly feeling. You know, well, I feel like I understand, or I feel like, you know, Jesus is a part of my life now. I feel like I'm saved. I feel like I'm a Christian. No, no, no. There has to be understanding. And the truth of the matter is, I I want to make sure that somebody understands, because when they're sharing with me, if they don't understand, I will stop them right there, and I will help to bring further understanding to the table as far as making things more clear to them. Uh, And I I think that is our responsibility as Christians. See, the problem is we are living in this instantaneous society. We want things done instantly. Just add water, poof. We want to put it in the microwave, poof, it's done. We want things done now. And, you know, the truth of the matter is we don't like to take the time to make sure that somebody truly understands the gospel. Now, again, the, the actual spiritual understanding of the gospel is a work of God. It's, once again, we call it in theology illumination. The Holy Spirit is doing this work. You've been born again. You, you've been made alive. But this understanding is given to you by God. Uh, you know, that's why flesh and blood, you know, as Jesus said to Peter, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The truth of the matter is, it's a work of God. It's a supernatural work when we talk about salvation. It's a God thing. It's not a man thing. But I appreciate J.D. sharing his thoughts and, and again, sharing a story about his children. But I'm, I'm not surprised by this at all. But this is what happens so often. And the truth of the matter is, that's why, even as a pastor for so many years, I'm preaching and teaching in churches and Sunday school classrooms and small groups and I'm teaching the Word of God to people who don't even understand the gospel, let alone believing that somehow now I'm going to be able to teach and instruct them and equip them to do the work uh, of the Lord. Unfortunately, but true, they, they're not born from above. They don't really understand the gospel. The, you know, I mean, the, there's so many things that to me just get so frustrated, and, and I realize that questions weren't asked, uh, people were just told to come to church, you need to join a small group, you need to do this, you need to do that. Uh, and and I, I tell you truthfully, it just gets to the point where it is out of control. Um, and people, you know, people don't have the answers that these people need. They don't take the time because, you know, true biblical discipleship, it takes time. And so I, I just want to kind of, once again, just make it clear to you that in the midst of all of this that's taking place today, I am not surprised by this. That's why the altar calls are unbiblical. Asking Jesus in your heart is unbiblical. All these things, there's no precedent for them in Scripture. But at the same time, we are welcoming people into the church as new members. We are telling them that uh, that they are now saved. They're born from above. They, they're children of God. And, you know, we go to a point in place of really bringing some type of false assurance. And the object of their faith is is that they did something. They prayed a prayer. Uh, they went to an altar. Uh, the object of their faith is not Jesus. And what has taken place is truly subjective. And, uh, you know, they feel this way or they sense this or whatever. You know, uh, you know I had a burning inside my bosom. I had this feeling that went up and down my spine. I, I started to cry, what, whatever the case. And, and once again, I, I'm not going down this road today here on this podcast uh, you know, going over this again, but that's why it, uh, you know, there's just no rhyme or reason for it. Jesus didn't do it. Paul didn't do it. Peter didn't do it. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke didn't do it. You know, James, John, yeah, I don't care who you name. It wasn't done. And that's the thing that I think people, you know, once again, I'm, you know, watching the, the arguments that are going on in the impeachment trial and in the Senate, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, all the things that are said but the truth of the matter is there is truth, and truth must be the foundation of where we begin. It must be the foundation of us as Christians, of our practices as, as Christians, and, and it must be the foundation of our beliefs. we got to know doctrine, good, solid, wholesome doctrine. We have to understand, and that's why people get mad. But hey, you know what? Get mad all you want. Get mad at God, because it's an unbiblical 
practice. There is no biblical precedent for the practice at all. And I could say so much more, but uh, again, I think I've said as much as I need to at this point in time. But again, thank you, J.D., for sending the email. And again, if you'd like to uh, send your thoughts, your views, your opinions, email me, martybento at gmail.com. You know, the podcast before the last podcast, I talked about Jesus being in charge of the church. A problem with the church today, a major problem is, is that Christ is not the head of the church. We don't understand that he created the church. He founded the church. He builds a church. He sustains a church. Uh, that we should turn to him, and we should realize that he has put together a methodology or, or a structure, I should say, on how the church should function and what we are to do. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but ultimately it is God who causes the growth. And I could go on and on with this one, but I, I, I've come across an article. Actually, my wife brought this to my attention. Uh, that just absolutely surprised me. But then, it, you know, I thought to myself after a while, should it really surprise me? The, the article comes out of uh, CNN, and I know CNN is one of those liberal hubs, but there's other places that are talking about it now. It's made national news, and it deals with the Grove United Methodist Church in Cottage Grove, Minnesota. It sounds like a sweet place. It really does. Cottage Grove, Minnesota. Never been to Minnesota, uh, but uh, I know some fine people from Minnesota. But uh, here's the headlines. Uh, A church has made headlines for allegedly asking older members to leave so that they can move ahead in the future as a church. Now, when my wife first told me the story, Again, I'm just being honest with you. I wasn't completely surprised by this story because in our day and age in which we live, there is a mindset about church growth. There's, you know, all these methods and methods of madness, I call them. They're not biblical, uh, of people wanting to somehow restructure, reframe, redo the church today. Uh, and, you know, there's all kind of conferences, and people go to these things, and, you know, they, they don't understand biblically what the church is about. They don't understand about Christ being the head of the church. Everything I talked about two podcasts ago, uh, and, and I would encourage you, if you have not yet had the chance to, to listen to it, it, the title of the podcast is The Problem with Today's Church. The Problem with Today's Church, and, and it covers this. But as I'm reading this article, let me just kind of give you exactly kind of the background about this article and help you out a little bit with what's happening here. This Grove United Methodist Church in Cottage Grove, Minnesota, is temporarily closing in June with plans to relaunch later in the year. Now, that's an interesting thing. I find this concept is a big-time concept that is being used today across all denominations I know it's big today amongst Southern Baptists, but it, it's it's just across all denominational lines where they want to uh, relaunch a church, a church that is failing, a church that is about ready to close, a church that's in trouble, et cetera, et cetera. They want to do a relaunch, and a relaunch they'll do a reimaging of the church. Uh, they'll you know they'll put new things into place that wasn't there before. They'll maybe put a fresh coat of paint in and outside of the building. Um, But the way they do things, they're going to do things completely different than they did in the past because in their mindset, they believe that the way that things have been done in the past is the reason why the church is dying or ready to die or maybe has already died. Now, if you remember the podcast, once again, and I, I want to just, I'm going to share this time and time again. The problem with today's church, it's two podcasts ago. You realize that Jesus in the book of Revelation warned the church that they had left their first love. And if they did not repent and do the deeds that they once did uh, at the very beginning, he would remove their lampstand. In other words, he would remove the church. Uh, because the church is ineffective in that area, and the church was Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, and the, the church doesn't exist today. But here's what they're doing, and again, in this relaunch, church later leaders are saying that this move is an, intended to attract new members. 
So they want to try to get new people in the door. They want to try to do things differently and new and exciting. And they're saying, hey, you you older folks, the way you've done things, it's it's in the past. You know, it's not working anymore, blah, 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 blah. Well, the problem is simply this. Once again, church growth methodology is not biblical. Because if we understand true church growth we understand that Jesus said, I will build my church. How does he do it? He does it for, through us fulfilling what we would call the Great Commission, uh, through proclaiming the gospel, that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Son of the living God, by going into all the world and making disciples. And uh, the problem is, is for a lot of people, that's, that's not the way. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to change the way we do church, you know, the, uh, kind of like, you know, hip things up, put again, you know, kind of, you know, paint it up, make it look different, make it sound different. Uh, everything from the pastor no longer in the suit to a pastor who's in blue jeans, uh, maybe even with a tear in the blue jeans, you know, in a comfortable, you know, shoes and a shirt and, you know, versus being in a tie and a suit and, and whatever the case may be. You know, and then, you know, the the mood in the church, go from a bright church to a darkened church where there's very little lights and change the way the seating is to a comfortable, you know, kind of uh, theater seating and then take the, you know, the worship uh, team or get rid of the organ, uh, you know, burn that puppy, send it down the road, create a worship team where you have drums and guitars and uh, electric piano, and you have, you know, so many singers, and you do this. We get rid of the choir, because the choir, that's old-fashioned. That's not, but you begin to do these things, and the way you do the kids' ministry, the kids should have fun. They should want to come to church, so you give away a lot of stuff. You you, you have a lot of fun. You, you know, get involved with chocolate and goo and all this kind of stuff, and I mean, the list goes on and on, and you're doing all of this to attract new people, to get a younger generation come in because you're telling the old folks, you know what, your time has passed. That's not how we do it anymore. But, well, again, the problem is is we haven't done it right in the first place right from the get-go. Now, in this story, um, the newspaper in that area reported that the church was actually asking older parishioners to leave in order to attract younger families. And people were outraged, and there was accusations of age discrimination. Uh, and more and more news outlets were picking up the story. But the story, uh, well, it's not completely true, but it's not, it's not simple either. Uh, and the reason is, is because this particular church, Grove United Methodist Church in Cottage Grove, a suburb of St. Paul, uh, is one of the church's two locations. Um, the Cottage Grove campus is home to a small, tight-knit community where members of the congregation lead their own sermons and actually sing traditional hymns. Now, see, that that's old school right there. When you think about that, singing old hymns, I mean, I, I just saw a church that recently just uh, a new pastor came again, and they have the contemporary service and the traditional service. They basically have the Hatfields and the McCoys. Two different services, people are not united, they're at each other, and all underneath the umbrella of, quote-unquote, uh, what real genuine worship is and worship styles and what people like and what people want, which, once again, it's not biblical. That's all I'm going to tell you. Worship has nothing to do with that music, has nothing to do with styles. Uh, worship has to do with being in spirit and in truth. It has to do with what God has told us worship is about, and it's all about Him. But anyways, I'll, I, we'll get into that a little later. But the campus here in Cottage Grove has struggled over the years to attract new members, um, especially younger people. Um, and this particular area, Cottage Grove, is one of the fastest-growing areas in Minnesota. But every week, about 30 people come together for worship. And they say that the church can't survive anymore. Things have to change. Something new has to take place. Well, I have said this for years. Anytime you hear, you know, something new has to take place, I'm trying to figure out what, you know, really what they're talking about. Because there isn't nothing new underneath the sun, according to Solomon. 
And once again, I think the issue is people. It's not God. It's not his word. It's not what he expects and what he desires, what he has given us. And what it is is, is what people want. So they, they say they want something new. Like, for instance, I'm doing a podcast. I'm broadcasting from a secret location uh, with my own little studio, and I'm able to you know put this together and put it out uh, literally for the whole world to listen to. When you think about, you know, 20 years ago, that was impossible. Uh, you think about cell phones. I have one of, you know, I just upgraded my cell phone, uh, you know, and I have one of these newer models. I don't have the latest model, but I have a newer model. And the, the newer model is supposed to be, you know, more you know, efficient, uh, the longer-lasting battery, but the things you can do and the camera in it and all that kind of stuff. And I agree that technology has taken us places where we've never been before. You know, on my phone, I, I can read books on my phone. I can watch TV on my phone, uh, videos. I, I can communicate with people all around the world with my phone. I mean, there's a lot of things in our world today in 2020 that, wow, even in my lifetime, you know, I never thought would be possible. But once again, I think we have to be careful with this. And the reason is, is because the church, which we are, the church's people, and there's a structure to the church. There is gifts that God has given to the church. There's expectation that God has of the church. But the bottom line is the church belongs to him. And see, this is where I find myself getting frustrated because I find so many people just absolutely put that to the side. And I hear things like this. Well, Marty, the message never changes, but the methods have to change. If we don't change the methods, we're going to lose them, Brother Marty. And we're in trouble in the future. And this church is going not, it's, this is, it, it's really going to be in trouble. We're probably going to close. We got to change our methods. Well, well, first of all, I believe that God has given us the method. See, the problem is we don't like God's method. Because God's method in our eyes doesn't work. See, we want to attract the masses because in our minds, the masses, well, first of all, a filled church filled with people in the pews or the chairs looks so much better. It's so much more exciting than a church that, you know, maybe 30 people were coming out. Um, you know, if we have more people, we have more workers, uh, you know, more people to do things around the church. Well, if we have more people, we have more money. Hey, we need more money. I mean, let's be honest now. You know, you just can't, you know, can't believe that the church is going to just, you know, continue to prosper without any money. We need money. We need warm bodies. We need this. We need that. But the truth of the matter is we don't understand that God's not only his message, but his methodology for church growth belongs to him because he's the one who builds the church. See, we're trying to take over from God. We're trying to, we're trying to establish some new, uh, newfangled way. Like God, I, I've actually heard people come to this point in place that, hey, it's 2020. We're not living in the days where men in their sandals in the dusty streets of Jerusalem. We're 2020. You know, we got Nikes, we, you know, we got Dockers, we got this, we got that. I mean, almost like God is ignorant, that God is unable, you know, like God is some old ancient man with some long beard in a rocking chair up in heaven that needs to, you know, understand the times. It's, it's like, you know, it's like if you have grandparents or your parents or people who are elderly go to a nursing home and they talk about the good old days, but yet you're trying to explain to them how things are much, much better today because you have all this technology. You all have all this, all these things at your hands. But, and as I'm reading the story here, I, I'm beginning to realize that's what it's all about. It's not turning to God. It's not realizing that the problems with churches today that are dying— that are losing ground, that are about ready to close their doors, there's a two-fold issue. Number one, Jesus already addressed it in Revelation 2. You left your first love. We're the problem. It's not Christ. Christ promises, I will build my church, 
even when the gates of Hades is trying to prevail against it, it ain't going to happen. Even when death and suffering and persecution takes place towards those who are the church, Christ is still going to build his church. He's going to sustain the church. He's going to protect the church. He's going to add to the number because it belongs to him. But see, we have literally, in our arrogance today, we have removed Christ as the head of the church. Now, you will never hear a pastor or a church leader ever say that we have done so, because word-wise, they'll say, we believe that Christ is head of the church. We believe that he's in charge. We believe that uh, we are the body, and there's many of us members but one body. They will say all the right things, but their actions prove otherwise. That's the real issue, which most people just don't realize. Um, I've said this before about love. You know, love is a powerful word, but love is an action word. We can tell someone we love them until we're blue in the face. It's not until we prove our love that they realize that we love them. I used a you know, simple example. If God's word said, for God so loved the world, period, Okay, God said he loved the world, but how do I know? Well, it doesn't stop there. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. See, he proved his love. So I, I, I really believe it in my simplistic thinking, the same is true with us as the body of Christ, the church. If we really say that we believe that Christ is head of the church— he's founded the church, he builds a church, he sustains a church, then our responsibility is to turn to the head of the church and say, okay, help us understand not only the method or the message, but the methodology about building your church. What do you want us to do? What he wants you to do is to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. He wants you to go make disciples of all the nations. He's the one who said, you do this because in the building, the adding to, even the removal of the local, it's all up to him. It's not up to us. But see, again, you know, some people say, you're just a purist, Marty. That's your problem. You're a purist. Well, I think we all need to be purist when it comes to the Word of God. We need to stand upon the truth and allow God to speak, and we need to shut our mouths. But see, that's not the case. And so what we do is, like this church is doing, since they are struggling to attract new members, that's another thing, too. I could just talk about this. Attract new members. You know, what about making disciples? You know, think about this. Even in the disciple-making process, we can't save anybody. You've heard me say that time, time and time again. Only God can save someone. See, that's what frustrates us. That's why I'm convinced that pride is really the major issue. The arrogance that we have, we want to do it our way. We want to be like Frank Sinatra singing, I did it my way. We want to take away from God. We want to say, hey, listen, it's 2020. You know what we need is we need a decision from people. We need people to pray this prayer. We need the people to come to this altar. We need to see tears. We need to have people raise their hand. We need people to, to, to bow their heads and no one looking around. We need the people to pray this and say this exactly after me. We need people to come to this meeting. We need people to do this. We need people to do that. We need, we, why? Because we're doing it. And the same thing is in church growth. If we find a way, a method of means, and really it's all underneath the umbrella of pragmatism. When it works or it draws the crowd and people come out, we say, it's God. And let me tell you right now, loudly, based upon the Word of God, God's saying, not. It ain't me. It's you. And see, I really believe you'll see the results it, it may take some time, but you'll see. You'll see the reality that those who prayed a prayer, went to the altar, those who are part of all of this pragmatic type of stuff, they're nowhere to be found after a few years, maybe even after several months. But see, in the mindset of the people that are out there today, they don't understand biblically the church. They don't understand biblically salvation. So that what are they going to do? They're going to do in order to you know, keep the church surviving, they're going to start a relaunch. 
And in this particular case, they're going to bring in a new young pastor, uh, and he is going to work on developing community relationships and new worship styles. Ooh, new worship styles. See, once again, this, this is nonsense at its best. This is unbiblical. Now, community relationships, I believe we should be building relationships with people, but genuine relationships. We should be caring so much about their souls of every human being that we are going forward to proclaim the gospel message. We're not running for a political office. We're not trying to make friends. We're not purposely trying to shun people away, but we need to tell the world about Jesus. That's our responsibility. That is also our privilege, and that is also where we're going to experience what the true church experiences, and that is hatred, persecution, suffering. But we can't back away from that. See, we're not trying to influence people. We're not trying to get people attracted to our church, attracted to our pastor, attracted to the things that we got going on. What we want to do is we want to share with them the reality that every man is truly a sinner. They come into this world a sinner. That God's judgment is upon mankind. Unless they repent and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for their salvation, they're going to experience the wrath of God in a place called hell. And the truth of the matter is we, we talk about God's forgiveness through his son Jesus Christ, who gave his life a ransom for many, the sacrifice once made and once for all, etc. I mean, we, we share the good news with them. And the truth of the matter is we're not looking for them to join the church. We're not looking for them to, to become a member of the church. We're not trying to attract them. We're trying to tell them the truth that they have a fatal, fatal disease, a sickness that will lead to death. They're in trouble. And we want them to know that there is only one answer, one cure, and his name is Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as I look at this, I, I just think to myself here, this is the issue. This, this isn't really nothing new, because what is happening here in Minnesota is happening all over the place. It's just happening in such great degree. And, and I would say to the people, the older people that have been there that are losing numbers, and that are declining, the problem is spiritual. It, it, it always is a spiritual problem. It's not a physical problem. It's not relocating the church or tearing down the church and building a new one. It's not adding some new worship style or new worship service. It's not putting paint on a pig. It's still, you know, the old saying, put, put lipstick on a pig. You can't. It's still a pig. The problem is spiritual. The problem is, is we don't want to look at our own lives individually and then corporately and realize that spiritually something's wrong. I think about the last church that um, gave me the boot, <laughs> um, put it mildly. When I came there and they asked me to be their pastor, I realized that the previous pastor who was still there and all that they were doing, what they were doing, it wasn't biblical at all. As a matter of fact, this is not the first time I experienced I've experienced this in many places I've been. Because the issue is always spiritual. Uh, people want to hire a new pastor, quote-unquote. That, that's an issue in itself, a hireling versus uh, someone who truly is a shepherd called by God. But they want to bring somebody in who will have all the answers, someone that will look good, speak good, sound good, do things that will get people stirred, and people will come in. People start coming back to the church. People will get excited. But see, the problem is it's not biblical. See, our love, our excitement, our enthusiasm, our passion should be for Jesus Christ and him alone. He is our love. We are, the, we are to be betrothed to one, and that is Christ Jesus. And so what happens is when you come in there and you open the Word of God and you start trying to teach people, uh, just like in this last place I was, and trying to show them biblically, you know what your problem is? Your problem is spiritual. Your problem is you're not following the Word of God. Oh, yes, every Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday night, every we always have the Word of Bible. The Bible is always opened. See, that, that's what people think, just because we open the Bible, 
that the gospel message is somehow just, you know, it is proclaimed to people. But it's not because Jesus is the gospel. And then you start showing them, biblically speaking, this is what the gospel is. This is what we are to do. This is what it means to make disciples. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, to put it just bluntly, all hell breaks loose. And the reason all hell breaks loose is because people, uh, the enemy knows that now the gospel is being, the light is being shown in the darkness, exposing it for what it really is. And people are just playing church. They're religious. They're part of a group of people that are doing this and that. But they're really not born from above. They're not children of God. They're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, They're not in obedience doing what Christ has called the church to do. I could go on and on. And what happens is warfare starts taking place. And it gets nasty. And it gets real ugly. And you begin to realize what what is happening. And, and and see, that's why I read the story, and I could give you every detail about the story, but, you know, their dream of what type of church they'd like to see. Once again, this is all man-centered flesh. This is what we're trying to accomplish. This is what we want to do. And believe me, folks, right here where I am, it's no different. Matter of fact, I'm I'm in the hotbed. I am right. It can't get much hotter in this area because every church does the same thing. And the problem is it's not biblical. That's the problem. And again, you you'll talk to some preacher say, "Oh, no, no. We 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 agree with you, brother Marty. We agree with you. We agree with you. We agree with you. We agree." Yeah, okay, but do you do it? You can agree until you're it, it's like even the demons believe in Jesus Christ. They do. But they're not saved. They've not repented. They're never going to repent. And see, that's the issue. We could talk a good talk, but will we walk the talk? Will we, in obedience, to obey is better than sacrifice? See, in some ways, that sacrificing is really what we're trying to do. We're somehow trying to say to God, well, you know what? We didn't do it your way, but but look what's happening right now. There are people coming in. There are people that are happy, and things seem to be more livelier. And, you know, come on, Lord, give us a break here. This is pretty good, isn't it? And God is just, I, I just believe truly, he, he's just like, no. He demands obedience from us. That's what we are to be, is obedient to him. And I can tell you right now, you just you find today, and I still believe, I shared this with a dear brother the other day, I think we're living in the days we're seeing more and more of this, of God doing a work that the wheat and tear are really being removed, and the tares are clinging to each other. And they're nothing more than religious people. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. Because there is no power. There, there is no Holy Spirit within them. They're, they're not willing to be obedient, following the ways of God. They're doing things their own way because they believe that, hey, listen, if it comes about and it does you know, accomplish what they're trying to accomplish, then, hey, listen, that, that's it. I mean, can we ask for any more than that? Well, the truth of the matter is you're not following what God has said. You're doing it your way. You are singing the song with Sinatra, I did it my way. And I really firmly believe that you'll give an account for that. You'll give an account. And I, I, we already know that you leave this word already judged. If, you know, the truth of the matter, if you're not a believer, you're, already, you're judged already. You're condemned. But we live in a time where, where people just don't want, they don't want to turn to Christ. They don't want to cry out to Christ. They don't want to study his word and say, okay, here's the example. Here's the instructions. We're going to do it your way. It's your church. We belong to you. You shed your blood for us. We want to do it your way. Now, it's it just they want to do it their way because they think their way is better. And in their arrogance and pride, as I said earlier, they're saying to God, look, look what we're accomplishing. I, I could tell you story after story, and some of them would probably really shake you right to uh, the core. 
um, because I've had people say things, church leaders over the years, that have surprised me. Uh, I remember one church that we were dealing with sin of the pastor, very serious sin of the pastor. And the leadership of the church wanted to lie to the church and not tell them the truth about the pastor and his sin. They wanted to do this cover-up. And the, and the, the head deacon who at one point in time we were in a conversation that got very loud and kind of ugly because I refused to submit to that and being a part of the lie and the scheming and, and the trickery and whatever, you know, the falsehood, whatever you want to call it. But I'll never forget what he said. He said, if we tell the people the truth, they will leave. If we tell the people the truth, um, the church will go into a tailspin. If we tell people the truth, people in the community will not come here. And he went on with this whole thing, and we're not doing that no matter what. And he's screaming at me, and you know what? They didn't. They lied to the congregation. They lied to the community. And they did it because... They kept on saying, here's the kicker. Look what this pastor has done in building this church over the years. We're not taking a chance of losing all that. See, that's the, that's the mentality. That's the mindset of people, that a pastor builds a church or a group of leaders or people that have, you know, they have some type of new methodology or they're flowing with the times or, you know, they do things a lot like the world and corporate America does in business. And I mean, I could go on and on. So you, you have them saying, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. We're not living in back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s because they think that certain ways, means and methods is old fashioned. But see, the problem is, once again, I told you. When a church is dying or in decline, when things are not happening in the church, the problem is spiritual. It's not because the church hasn't changed with the times. It has nothing to do with that. That's why I, I, a couple years back I, I was in a church, and this became a real issue. It was actually the same church. It became an issue. And I remember a, a, a magazine article uh, I believe it was in China or somewhere in, in in some foreign land where there were people meeting by the thousands in the middle of the woods. They could not meet in a building. They could not meet in the town square, uh, or they would be arrested and they'd be accused of, of coming against the government. But the the thing that was amazing about it, in the article, these people stood. They stood for over an hour with children, and they walked, many of them, miles upon miles to get to this location. And again, it was a secret location away from everyone so they wouldn't find themselves, you know, being just thrust into prison. But they stood there, no chairs, uh, with their babies, with their children, no children's church, no nurseries, no comfortable pews or chairs, no air conditioning. And by the way, in the picture, it was pouring, it was raining so bad Every one of them were soaked from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. They were soaking wet to listen to the man of God proclaim the word of God. And as I looked at the picture, you could see the people's faces. They, they weren't sad. They weren't like grumbling. They were smiling. They were listening intently because the words of life were being proclaimed. And by the way, the reason why that church had to meet in that location too was not only because of the officials in the country, in the community, but because they had grown over years upon years, making disciples, proclaiming the gospel in the workplace, in the marketplace, uh, at home with family members, down the street. They would tell people about Jesus Christ. And they were baptizing people to a point that almost every week they were doing baptisms in a public river, but in an undisclosed location. But they were baptizing people who repented and put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for their salvation. And then they were teaching them. They would meet in small groups in, in people's houses, and they would learn more about the Bible, more about Jesus Christ, the God, the creator of the universe. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And I thought to myself, all these people were doing what is biblical. They were following 
Christ's command. They were doing it his way. And he was building his church. He was sustaining them. He was adding to the number daily those of being saved. Because it was a God thing, not a man thing. Now, I know the last two podcasts, it sounds like this one, I put it all together and just added to it a little bit, but I kind of just mixed it all. Maybe I have. But I tell you the truth, it's time for us to get back to the Bible. It's time for us to get back to God's holy word. It's time for us to realize the truth about the church. We are the church. And our sole responsibility is to be obedient to God, obedient to Christ, our King, our Master, our Lord, our Savior, and to follow Him in obedience, and to study the Word of God and do it His way, trusting Him for the results. Until we do that, I'm firmly convinced, especially if you are a child of God, God is going to discipline you. And I I don't say that lightly. I'm just being honest with you. He's going to discipline. Why? Because it ultimately has to be done His way. Um, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. It begins with the children of the living God. And if we love God and he loves us and he is our father, then, then the scripture is plain and clear Then he is going to discipline us. He is going to deal with us. And even to the point, as Jesus said in Revelation 2, unless you repent and you do the deeds that you did once at first, guess what? I'm going to remove your lampstand. That's what's going to take place. Because God is not ever going to settle for sacrifice. Obedience is what he demands from us. Obedience. That's what he wants. And so I hope and I pray that through listening to this, you'll realize and understand that that it has to be God's way. And all this nonsense that's taking place in our world today is just that. It's nothing more than nonsense. It has to stop. But the only way it can stop is we have to come to a point in place where we begin to truly share with people the biblical truth about Jesus Christ, about his church, about discipleship, and then live it out in our own lives. And and I cannot stress this enough to all of you out there who are listening uh, to this podcast today. We have to trust, we have to trust Jesus Christ to build his church. Love to hear from you. Email me, martyminto at gmail.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you. May his face shine upon you. And remember, it's his church. We belong to him. He shed his blood for us. Until next time, God bless.